Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Happy New Year. 2019 is going to be an amazing year. You know, the, the, the amazing thing about that is I can tell you already that at the end of this year, you're going to look more like Jesus than you do today. Because it's his goal. You were predestined for that. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Literally, like you were created to become like him, to look like Jesus. You were created in his image. The fall came and did its best to destroy that. But Jesus came and made all things new so that we could be born again, recreated once again in the image of our father, who is love. You're going to become love. You're going to become like him even more this year than you ever have been. Because the spirit of God's leading you from glory to glory into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, whom he loves. That's his heart for you. Isn't it amazing? Like, that's not some idea that we came up with, like, man, Jesus is amazing. God, could we look like him? Like, we didn't talk him into it. It wasn't our plan that that he got on board with. It was his plan. It was his purpose. It was his desire in creating you was to make you look like his son, Jesus. And he's after that. And he's more committed to it than we are to becoming it. That's the beautiful thing is like, take the pressure off in 2019. I'm not saying don't go after him with everything you've got. I'm not saying what I say. I'm saying take the pressure off of yourself that the responsibility is yours to become what he created you to become. When Jesus calls the fishermen, he says, hey guys, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What was their responsibility? Just follow him. Because he promised, I'll make you become what you were created to be if you just will follow me. The heavy responsibility, the heavy lifting is Jesus. Like it's his responsibility. It's the spirit of God's responsibility. It's the father's responsibility to make you who he created you to become. Your only responsibility is just to yield and follow him. How simple is that? It's always easy, but it is simple. That's why the gospel is so simple, because it's not complicated. It's not like, oh, man, we got to try to figure this thing out. No, just follow him and let him figure things out. Just say yes. Just be obedient. Just find him in his word and say, God, I submit to your word even when it doesn't make sense to me because I understand that even the wisdom of man is foolishness to you. The things that would be my wisdom, the earthly wisdom. Be careful. You get caught up in earthly wisdom, the way that seems right to a man. The Bible says that that, that there's two types of wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from above, which is pure, which is God's wisdom, which always leads us to looking like him and being like him in every situation we find ourselves in. And then there's wisdom of this world that's sensual. It means it's driven by the senses. It makes sense because it feels good to me or it's what I want. My flesh wants that. He says there's a bunch of descriptions. In the end, he says it's demonic. It's the way of thinking that got Satan to be where he is. It's thinking for itself. It's self-centered. It's self-seeking. It's self-serving. That's the wisdom of this world. And God says, that's just foolishness. Seek the wisdom that comes from above. It's lovely and it's pure. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to preach a message that kind of is a little bit of a continuation of last week's kind of or in the same thread. And I was praying about this after, as I was preparing this message, I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you saying? And, and this is what I felt like he said. So I'm going to just start with this real quick just to give it context. He said, these messages aren't because I think this is where we are. These messages are because this year will be a year of seeing God move and walking in things we've prayed for both corporately and privately for years. And as we begin to enjoy them and experience them, the Lord would say to us, just don't forget me. 
I'm bringing you into a year. I, I, I honestly believe that. Like, it's his heart. He's saying those things that you've been praying for, contending for, believing for, you've seen glimpses, you've seen glimmers, but you're going to step in fully, more fully into things. You're going to step into things that you've known all along were for you and you've believed for. You're going to find yourself in places that you've dreamed of being. And he, and, and, and he wants us to know, like he, want, like he wanted his people always to know, it's my heart to bless you. Don't forget me in the process. So open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. We start at the very top of the chapter. And this is the Lord speaking to his, his people. Now, he's, he's long brought them out of captivity, and, and he's speaking to them through his prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he says. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob and all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord? who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines and a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Father, I, I'm so thankful that we have your word. God, I ask that as we, as we read, as we pray, as we meditate, as we speak, as we consume your word, that it would consume us, God. I thank you that it's alive, that it's not just words on a page, Father, but it's your heart revealed. It's who you are. It's who we are, God. That when we see the word, it's like looking into a mirror. We see who we were destined to become. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you as I speak today, the Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to hear, our minds to understand. We have the mind of Christ. That we can understand that the things of the Spirit are understood by the spiritual man. And that our hearts would be the good soil. That the seed of your word would produce fruit in our lives. That we are incapable of producing apart from you, but destined to produce in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is the Lord, and, and <clears throat> I read, I've read this word. I've gone back to this word a bunch of times. I feel like it's something the Lord's brought me to many times, just in my own quiet time and study, because it's, it's this amazing revelation of his heart for us. But it's also this thing where it's like, Learn from what people have done. Learn from mistakes. Learn from, see the lessons that they had to learn the hard way and learn them so that you don't have to be walking in the same thing. And so here you have the Lord. He sends Jeremiah to talk to his people. <clears throat> and, and he says to him, this is what the Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. He says, like, I remember when it was just me and you in the wilderness, and I was all you had. You, you loved me. You were devoted to me. And, and, I, and, and you can hear his heart. He's longing for that. Because he says later, he says, well, let me ask you something. What did I do wrong? You just think about this. This is the Lord saying, what fault did your ancestors find? In other words, what did I ever do wrong that you would stray so far from me? And so it's like the Lord's looking. He's seeing where things used to be. 
and he's seeing where things are, and he's in the middle of that going, I loved this, but I wanted to give you this. I just didn't want to lose this in the process. Because he says, I brought you into this land for you to eat and enjoy. It was a rich, it's not like the, 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 it's not like God wanted them to be in poverty where they had no choice but him forever. It was his plan to bring them into the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land. It was actually promised. It's, you know, it's not like they were wandering around the desert going, oh God, could we please have some houses? Could we please have a, a, a land that flows with milk and honey? And God's like, but, but no, I want you here. Yeah, I know God, but we just want grapes as big as our shoulders. And, and, and we'd really actually love to have houses that we didn't have to work for and build. And the Lord's like, yeah, but, but when you're here, I'm all you have, and you love me, and this is what I want. I don't want to bring you there. No, and it, where is this place anyways? Well, we think it's over there. And God, like, begrudgingly is like, okay, I guess, against my better judgment, I'll give you what you want. No, this was his plan. He said, a land that I promised to your fathers, fathers, fathers. It was always been my heart to bless you and bring you into a place of blessing. I just never wanted to bring you into a place of blessing at the expense of you wanting me. See, in the desert, there was a time where he was their shelter. Turn in, you can, or you don't have to turn there, I'll go there. You can hear his heart for this before they enter the land. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. He's talking to his people. They haven't entered the land yet. He says, And then it shall come to about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. Great and splendid cities which you did not build. And houses full of good things which you did not fill. And hewn cisterns which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So he's, he's with them in the wilderness. And it, when they're hot, he's their shelter. When they need water, he provides water. And, and it's not like, 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 picture this. There's a million people, millions of people. Like, it's not like he provided a canteen. You know, it's not like he dropped six Dasani bottles out of the sky. Or that there was this little trickle, like, you know, an igloo cooler coming out of a rock. When it says water flowed and it was enough for everyone. That means water was like gushing from these rocks, like, like thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of gallons of water just pouring out so that everybody could eat and drink. And, and he's, he's saying to them, he says, listen, there was a time where, where, where I remember that when you needed water, you had to come to me for it. I'm going to bring you to a place where there's cisterns that are full of water, where you can have water whenever you want it. That was his heart. And he realizes, like, there's this chance that when they don't have to wake up every morning and hope, see, manna would last the day. So every day they had to wake up and, and depend on him to, to, to feed them for that day. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to bring you into a place where you'll be able to see what, you can, what you're going to eat a month from now. Not just like what you're going to eat tomorrow. I'm going to bring you into a place where when you sit on your back porch and you look out, you'll see what you're going to eat for months to come out in front of you. And I want to bring you in that place. 
I just don't want you to forget me when you no longer need me every morning to rain down manna. I want to bless you. I just don't ever want you to lose sight of your need for me and your desire for me in the process. This is his heart. If I'm God, I'm like, I have what I want. They need me. They love me. They want me. I'm all they have. But the truth of the matter is, is he's never wanted you to choose him because there was no other choice. He's wanted you to choose him in spite of there being other choices. It's why there's two trees in the garden. He says, look, Adam, I want to bless you. Like you see his heart from the beginning is to bless his people. He didn't have to create all these amazing things for Adam. He could have put Adam in the middle of a desert and said, figure it out. But he puts him in a garden full of amazing, beautiful things. He says, all this is yours. I give every bit of this to yours. There's just one thing that will screw everything up. Don't eat of that tree. And in doing so, he allows man to choose him willfully. Not because there's no other choice. And he shows Adam his goodness over and over and over again. And knowing full well that there's a chance that Adam's going to go and eat the tree, he makes himself vulnerable to man and says, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you what to choose. I'm going to show you the way that you should go. But I'm not going to force you. I want to be chosen because I want to be loved. So he has them in the, in the wilderness. And, and, and this is why we have to be careful that we don't make a, 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 a gospel out of being poor. I, I, this is, I'm not trying to preach some like prosperity message that you know, God wants everyone to be a billionaire or anything like that. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying, but I am saying this. Like if God's desire for his people was for them to be in poverty so that they needed him, they would have stayed in the desert. It wasn't his heart. He said, I wanted to bless you. Listen to him talk. This is the Lord. He says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. Like, I brought you here for you to enjoy this. I wanted to bless you. He says, in Deuteronomy, he's telling him, he's saying, listen, right now there are people building houses that one day you're going to live in. There are people digging wells that one day you'll drink from. There are people planting vineyards that one day you'll eat from. They're building great cities and filling the houses and you're not having to fill them. And one day that's all going to be yours and I'm going to give it all to you. Everything that you need me for here in the desert, I'm going to give you when you go into the promised land. You no longer will need me to make water come from a rock. You'll have wells that were already dug. You'll no longer need me to rain down food. There's vineyards and there's food and there's milk and there's honey. You'll no longer need me for shade. You'll have a house over your head to protect you from the burning sun. And you'll have fire by night to keep you warm inside your homes. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm going to remove the need that you have for me to provide all of those things. And I'm going to bless you beyond what you can even imagine. But please, in the process, don't forget me. And they forget him. And he knew they were going to forget him. And he blessed them anyways. He comes to them and he says, he says, what fault did they find? They followed worthless idols, became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord? In other words, they made idols out of stuff that replaced me. And they didn't even realize it in the process. And none of them thought to ask, wait a minute, 
Where's the Lord in all this? We're so busy enjoying a, a house that we didn't build, land that we didn't till. But where's he? We have to have him. He says, I brought you there to enjoy its richness, to enjoy the, to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. And I was looking at that word detestable. In the original language, it's the word toeba, which means disgusting or abhorrent, but it also is tied to the word for idol. He says, I brought you into this place and I blessed you, and you made an idol of the blessing. And that became the thing that stole your attention, that captivated your heart, and that you pursued, and you forgot about me in the process. And I, I want to, to tell us this as a church family, corporately and also personally. The Lord wants to bless you. It's his heart. It's always been his heart. He's the one that said, I, the Lord, delight in the prosperity of my servants. That's the Lord said that. It's not some like theology that we made up and said, God, would you sign off on this, please? Because we really would. No, this was the Lord saying this stuff. It was the Lord that brought them into this place. Sometimes people look at things and they say, well, look at what it did. It couldn't have been the Lord because look at the fruit of it. Maybe it was the Lord, but his intention was that you wouldn't become so enamored by the blessing that you lose sight of him in the process. See, people from the outside looking in could say, how could that have been God that brought them into that place and blessed them? That wasn't the Lord. He wanted them to see, see, God's plan was probably for them to stay in the desert, not have anything, be poor and need him. And then they would have realized their need for him and they would have loved him like he talked about, the devotion of their youth. They were holy. They were set apart for the Lord. That was God's plan. This wasn't God's plan. That was the enemy's plan to distract them and take them away from the Lord. No, the truth is, is that his plan was to take them from a place where they needed him for everything, that he could bless them and they would still recognize their need for him in the process of being blessed. We look from the outside and we think, man, that couldn't have been God. Look at the fruit. Don't blame God for the fact that you allowed something else to steal your affection and your attention because a lot of times it might be something that God desired to give you. But the problem is, is that if we're after him for what he can do, when we get the thing that we're after him for, it will become our God and we'll have no more need for him. I promise you, if you're praying for a spouse, that's awesome. Believe that God wants to bring a godly spouse to you. If you're praying for a child, believe that God wants to bless you with children and you'll be fruitful and multiply. But don't you ever pursue him for those things at the expense of pursuing him for him. Because when you get those things, the pursuit will end and the thing will be what you worship. Even good things, especially good things. Your gifting and your calling is not to be worshipped above God. We, all, we pray, you know, God, we want to know you more. We want to, we want, we want to be used by you, God. And we, we earnestly desire spiritual gifts and, and those kind of things. And we talked about that last week a little bit. But, but I'm telling you that you desiring to be used by God should never replace your desire to know him. It should flow from your knowing him that you want to be used by him. And if you ever get it backwards, you'll abandon him as soon as you start seeing you being used. And you'll point to the fruit rather than to the relationship as proof that you're following the Lord. And then you end up with people on that day that say, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, I never knew you. He doesn't say, no, you didn't. He says, 
Maybe I wasn't there. And I can, I can prove this to you, that a big part of why this happens is because we make our pursuit of the things that he provides. Listen, Jesus was, was real clear about this. He said, why do you worry about what you will eat, what you'll wear, where you'll sleep? He says, even the, 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 the heathens, they're the ones that run after these things. He says, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. What other things? The things he was just talking about will be added to you. The problem becomes when we pursue him for all these things rather than for him. What makes our heart burn and makes us more excited? Is it the fact that we can have him and his kingdom and his righteousness? Or is it all these things that he promised that he would be added to it? He would love to add things to your life, but never if it means the subtraction of him. He wants to add these things, but he doesn't want your pursuit to be these things. Because then when you get these things, you have no more need for him. And he finds himself going, I remember back when you didn't have anything and you came after me and you were set apart wholly to me and you were devoted to me and you loved me in a land that wasn't sown. In other words, in a place where you had no other choice, you loved me. But then when you got other choices, you chose things over me. What did I ever do wrong? You just hear his heart breaking. He's not like condemning anger. What did I do wrong? He's looking at them and thinking, all I've done is love you. All I've been is good. What did I ever do? In in verse 8, it's not just for the people. He says, the priest didn't ask, where's the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders, some translations say pastors, rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. There's that word again. He says, look, even the ones who were set apart to be priests, their responsibility was to know me. Even they didn't ask Like, it's one thing if people that don't know the Lord, like back then, his presence and his anointing wasn't on everyone the way it is today. He's saying, listen, it's one thing if the people who didn't know me and weren't set apart to know me, it's one thing for them. He said, like, he can't even understand that because they all saw the things that he did for them. They all saw the provision, the miracles. Everyone was to have a heart to know him and to love him. He wanted to be with every one of them. But he's like, at least the priests could have understood that people have forgotten about me and they could have urged the people and stood before them and said, where's the Lord in all this? We've lost the path. We've forgotten the Lord. He says, even the priest didn't ask where I was. He says, those who knew the law were were supposed to be the people that were experts in the law, they didn't know me. In other words, they may have known rules, but they didn't know me. And rules apart from him never works. That's religion, not relationship. It'll never work, ever. And then he says something that to me is super scary. He says, the leaders also rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless items. Listen, these were not false prophets to begin with. These were prophets of the Lord that spoke on his behalf. But when they lost sight of him and they started to look at all the things that they had been given and their attention went to the blessings rather than the blesser, they still prophesied, but it was no longer the Lord speaking. It was something other than the Lord speaking. If you ever lose sight of him for the sake of anything, You probably won't stop speaking. You'll just stop speaking his truth and you'll start speaking things that you want to say to gain what you want to gain because you're busy with building your kingdom rather than his. 
And I read this stuff and it's sobering. This is why, like, now we're all called priests, right? For you're all priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto God. That means everybody has the responsibility to look around and say, where's the Lord? It's no longer okay for people to look and say, well, I guess that if they would have done a better job, no, you know the Lord, you seek after the Lord. And if you see that something is going wayward or wonky or sideways or pursuing other things at the expense of God, you stand up and say, where's the Lord in all this? We have to have people that do that in our lives and that we do that in their lives. I went last week to, to a couple of my friends. We we're just talking about this stuff because it's just been sobering me as I read this stuff. And, and I told them, I said, if you ever see me going after anything at the expense of him, you grab me and shake me until I repent. You get in my face and you love me enough to shake me and ask me, where is the Lord? Because what you're saying doesn't sound like him. What you're doing doesn't look like him. All I hear out of your mouth is this and that, and it might be good things. You might be talking about godly-seeming things, but if you're not pursuing him, even building a kingdom that has his name on it but isn't actually built on him is going to be worthless. And we need to have people that speak this stuff into our lives, that love us enough to look at us and say, something's wrong. Because here's what the Lord said. Here's what I see. And somewhere in the middle of that, you're stuck. What are you doing? When we're all supposed to be submitted one to another. We're not supposed to ever insulate ourselves. We're not supposed to ever be so lofty that people can't speak into our lives. In fact, the more influence you get, the more you need people that you're accountable to that can speak into your life because the more the enemy would love to steer you off course. We we're never so. The Bible says, you know, we talk about being submitted to leaders, and there's there's a truth in that that you are to, you know, it says submit yourself to the leaders. You know, they they watch over your, as those who will give account for your souls. It means there's a responsibility for what we teach. There's a responsibility that we seek the Lord, and what we're saying is on behalf of the Lord, and that's that is true. But it also says submit yourselves therefore one to another. Why? Every mountain low, every valley high. It's a level playing field. None of us has a greater anointing than the other. And if our anointing ever insulates us from being able to be spoken to truthfully, we are in great danger of being led astray and being deceived. And the worst thing about deception is that you're deceived. You don't know. We need to have people around us that know the Lord that would come to us and say, where's the Lord? I hear what you're saying. It sounds great. Where's God in all this? You're, 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 you're living in, in houses that you didn't build and in cities that you didn't, you didn't fill and you didn't build and you're eating from vineyards that you didn't. So that's all amazing. Walk in the blessing of the Lord. Just don't lose sight of him in the process ever. And you can hear God's heart break. And when he says this, he says to him, he says, he says, what fault did your ancestors find with me that they would stray so far? He's saying, listen, what did I ever do wrong that they would want to depart from me? Here's the thing. It doesn't happen like overnight. It's not like an instantaneous thing. I don't believe that the first day they walked into those houses, they turned their back on God and forgot about him completely. I think it happens slowly as you start to enjoy what God has blessed you with and you start to enjoy that and that becomes the pursuit of your life and suddenly you're looking at how you can get more or how you can build bigger or how you can do whatever it is that you're doing apart from seeking him and pretty soon, slowly but surely, the focus of your life has shifted and whatever has your heart and your eyes will soon have your mouth and the things coming from your mouth won't be from him, they'll be from you and what you want in your own desire. And that's how a prophet of God becomes a prophet of Baal. 
That's how you go from speaking truth in love to speaking manipulatively to gain. And we can do it if we're not careful. And we were praying about, I was praying about this stuff two weeks ago. Just God's been putting all this burden on my heart just through a bunch of different things that have been going on in my life and in what he's been showing me and just praying about the church and our church and stuff like that. And this is what he said. He said, Roy, do not think this can't happen to you. The minute you think this can't happen to you, you're already halfway there. The minute you think it can't happen to you, you're already way closer than you would ever imagine. You know how it doesn't happen? It doesn't happen if we keep our pursuit of him the most important thing. And we let the things he wants to bless us with be a blessing in addition to our life, but not the pursuit and the goal of our life. Like give ourselves an honest heart check and ask yourself, what excites me more? Is it him, his kingdom, his righteousness, or is it all these other things? What is it that this is my pursuit? This is how you end up. We talked about this a little bit last week, but this is how you end up with a um, Judas. Because Judas is there for everything Jesus. Think about it. When he sent them out two by two, 50% of one of those groups was Judas. When he told the disciples, you feed them, he was talking to Judas. When he multiplied food, when he said, Lazarus, come out, Judas stood there and watched a dead man walk out of a grave. And he said, go out and and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and preach the gospel of the kingdom and tell them, today the gospel of the kingdom has come near you. And they went out two by two and they came back and they said, Lord, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. And he said to them, don't rejoice that demons are subject, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Judas is standing there. He's one of the two that was in a group of two who saw all these things happen and maybe even had some of these things happen through him. But he was pursuing Jesus for what Jesus could do for him, not for what he could do for Jesus. And suddenly what maybe even started out pure became twisted and he began to think about, well, this is the guy that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire and if I'm close to him, then I can have a seat next to him and I can be part of that and I can rule and I can reign and we'll finally be free from Rome. And suddenly what maybe even started out pure becomes twisted because it's his own agenda that he's pursuing rather than the Father's. And when he sees that Jesus isn't going to do what he wanted him to do, he sells him for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because he has no more use for him once he sees that he's not going to get what he wants. And it's just as easy for people to have no more use for the Lord once they've received everything that their heart has wanted, if their heart doesn't long for him. You can just be honest with yourself and ask yourself, what is it that I want the most? And so, it, look, there's godly things. Like, you know what? The truth of the matter is, is like, it's a godly thing to desire a good wife. He who finds a good wife finds a good thing indeed. That's a godly desire. It's a godly desire to want to be used in ministry by the Lord, to have a gift and, and operate in a gift and see people come to know him. Every single one of those things are godly desires. But when you get to that place where he's blessed you with the thing you've been asking him for and seeking him for, can you withstand the blessing and still continue to seek him just as earnestly then as you were before you got there? That's the test. 
And I believe that's what he's saying to us as a church family, is that 2019 will be a year where you step into things that you've been praying for and longing for, the things that you've been seeking him for and asking him for, both privately and corporately. And I'm just telling you, I feel like his heart is pleading with us individually and corporately. I want to bless you. It's always been my heart, but don't forget me in the process. Don't let the blessing become the object of your affection or it will steal your heart, steal your eyes, and steal your lips. And pretty soon, your goals and your dreams and your aspirations will be all about all kinds of other things. And somewhere in the middle of it, God's saying, what did I ever do that would cause you to come to a place where I blessed you and make it dirty? That's what he said. He said, you defiled it. You contaminated it. And he said, and you made my, the inheritance, the thing that I promised you. This was his heart. Guys, I, I'll, I'll close with this. I don't know how many more times I can say it. It wasn't Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's idea for God to make this place called the promised land and give it to them and bless them. It was his idea. It was his heart. It was what he longed to do. He created this place for them. He delivered it to them. He said, come into the land which I am giving you. And I have given you. It was his idea. Like the blessings that are coming into your life. Those are his idea. But what's not his idea is that you would ever let the blessing take the place of your pursuit of him and that it would become the thing that steals your attention and your affection and that you make the goal of life. He's the goal of life. And then all these things can be added unto you and you can steward them wisely because they're not the pursuit of your life. They're an addition to your life as you're pursuing him. And so I've just been... Just praying about that. And I, I think there's some practical things that we can do. One of them is, is ask him to search our heart and show us. And I'm not saying say that in a prideful way like, I pray all the time, ask God to search my heart and show me. No, no, no. I'm saying when no one's looking, not so that you can say that to people, get alone with him and open yourself up to him and say, God. Because Paul's writing, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. He says, and if there is selfish ambition, don't lie to yourself. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, don't let your motive be twisted. And if your motive is twisted, the worst thing you could do is lie to yourself or lie to others. Get alone with him and ask him. He'll show you. If any one of them, if any, he's pleading with them. If any one of them would have said, where's the Lord? He would have said, hey, I'm over here. That thing you've been staring at, the thing you've been wanting, that thing you've been desiring, the things that you're trying to build, all that stuff that you're doing, and that's all cool. But you've turned your back on me to give that your attention. And in doing so, you've made it dirty. You realize that, like, when the Israelites started on this journey, like, God brought them into a wilderness area so that they had to learn to depend on him. They had to learn to trust him because he was wanting to instill a desire for him 
to trust him and to obey him into his people so that he could then take them anywhere he wanted to and they would never depart from that foundation of trusting, obeying, and seeking the Lord. It's still his heart. And the truth of the matter is, is if you have no other option than him, it's pretty easy to choose him. He wants to be chosen in a world where there's all kinds of options in front of us. Where there's all kinds of things that we could give our attention and our affection and our time. We could give our talents and our giftings to. We could give our, our devotion to. There's, there's all these things, and yet it, 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 I believe it just makes his heart just go crazy when someone in the middle of all kinds of options says, I know I could have all this stuff. I know all that stuff's good, but the truth of the matter of God is I don't want any of that. I want you. This is something Patty prays all the time. We were talking about this the other day. She prays and says, God, bless me in the way that you see fit because you know my heart better than me. And the other, the other thing we can do is have friends that we're accountable to, that speak into our lives, that know us, that love us, that they would never let us get to a place in our life without them first standing in front of us and saying, what are you doing? And be humble enough to realize that there's a chance that maybe they see something that I don't. And to consider what they say and to bring it to the Lord. And don't let anything silence that voice other than his. Because you could so easily, if someone comes to you and tells you, listen, they could have really easily, if a prophet would have come to them in, in honesty and said, where's the Lord? They could have said, obviously the Lord's with us. Look at the blessing. Look at the fruit. Look at what's happening. And they could have silenced the voice of a friend who loves them that's speaking the truth to them by pointing to the blessing of the Lord rather than actually realizing, wait a minute, the blessing has become the Lord. And I forgot him. So Father, I just, I pray for that. For, for us individually, for us as a, as a church family, God, that, that, we would, that we would be open, honest, vulnerable, and humble enough, God, that you could correct us so easily. Listen, the easiest time to correct a ship is the second it starts to veer. It's just a small thing. And then there's, and I feel like every time that something is going on, God is constantly sending people to say, you're getting off track, you're getting off track, you're getting off track. And the longer we wait and the more we ignore, the harder it is to get the ship back to where it's supposed to be. It's still possible, but now it's going to require a lot more time and it's probably going to require a lot more things to happen. The easiest time is right when you make that first little slip and you just, just for a second weren't paying attention to the true north and that wheel just drifted a little bit and someone comes and says, hey, I feel like we're veering a little bit oh, shoot, we are. Sorry. Right back on track. No big deal. It's so easy. It just requires humility. And it requires people around us that love us enough to speak the truth to us and have permission to speak into our lives. And the longer it goes, the more we ignore those voices, the more we ignore the voice of the Lord saying, where's the Lord? Wait a minute, where's the Lord? The farther the ship gets off track, the harder it is to correct and get back on course. God, we love you. We thank you. God, I just, I just I pray that, that we would be a people who would be single-eyed, God, that would be so focused on you and so enamored with you, so in love with you, 
and so after you, Father, that you could bless us with everything that you want and all your heart desires for us, and it would never pull us away from our desire and our pursuit of you. I pray that we would just keep that pure before us, God, that we would be humble, that we would love each other enough to speak into each other's lives, that we would be submitted one to the other, that we wouldn't have a hierarchy that insulates us, but that we would truly be submitted as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, every mountain low, every valley high, level playing field, everyone permitted to speak into each other's lives in love, to see us look more and more like Jesus, and to keep us from ever having you here to having to hear you say, "What did I do wrong?" That you would ever stray this way. Got to pray that we would never hear those words. I pray that you keep us humble, keep us pure, keep us pursuing you with all we have. That 2019, we can step into everything you have for us without ever stepping out of following you. In Jesus' name, amen.